0: If you have your Bible with you, will you please turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews and chapter six. Our new sermon series, as you can see from the slide behind me, is called Anchored. Maybe you noticed the theme in the songs we were singing. When the wind comes, when the storms come, well, where is that anchor? The anchor passage that we're anchored by faith in Jesus Christ is the passage we're going to be looking at in this sermon series. It's Hebrews 6. Verses 13 through the end of the chapter, and that is verse 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20 is full of glorious phrases. Uh, But if you peek ahead at verse 19, let me just read this one verse. Hebrews 6, 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Okay, stop there. I've been on a lot of boats in my life. Not a lot, but I've been on enough boats to say that I've been on some boats. Never once do I remember being on a boat that needed an anchor. Right? Never once was I on a boat that needed an anchor. When do you need an anchor? You need an anchor when you need to stay locked in. When the rough waters come, when the wind blows, when the skies are dark, when you don't know where you're going to be the next day, you need an anchor to keep you safe safe and secure. And Jesus Christ has offered to everyone an anchor, as it says, for our souls. An anchor for our souls. In a minute, I'm going to read our whole passage, Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. And then this morning, we're going to focus on verses 13 through 15. Before I read from God's Word, let me pray. Blessed be your name, O Lord. When we woke up this morning, you were still keeping your promise, and your mercy was new and fresh and abundant. Your mercies were more than sufficient for each of us today. We are here now, worshiping you, because you are faithful, and you have kept Every promise. And Lord, you promise that at the reading and preaching and proclaiming and hearing from you, from your word, you promise that not a word of yours is wasted. You promise to change our hearts right now. But Lord, you know the storms we're in. You know how many of us feel like it hasn't been sunny the last few days. It's been dark. The storms are coming. The wind is blowing. You know what each of our hearts needs. And you have provided an anchor for our souls through Jesus Christ. So Lord, we're prepared to hear from you. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see And hearts to receive from your word with obedience and joy and hope. Thank you for this time in your word, in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 20. And then, as I said, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 15 this morning. But each week of our four-week series, Anchored, we're going to be looking at all of these verses to keep them in context. This is the glorious word of our Lord. Hebrews 6, and beginning in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying... The unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. May God bless the reading of his word. Look again at verse 19, the theme verse for these four messages. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor Of the soul. That, friends, is Christ's offer. Jesus Christ has an offer for everyone. He offers an anchor for your soul. This offer is not just for the powerful, not just for the influential, not just for the beautiful, not just for the connected, not just for the special. If you have called on the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation, if you've repented of your sins, if you're born again, if you're saved, by grace through faith in Jesus, you actually already have this anchor. It's a gift purchased for you by Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, you've got an anchor. I don't know how well it's working for you, but Jesus is offering you the best anchor, an anchor for your soul. This is the offer from Christ for everyone. He died and rose again and ascended into heaven so that everyone who calls on his name might have an anchor for their souls. Well, what's an anchor? What's an anchor? How many of you have thrown an anchor out? You've thrown, okay, I see some hands. You have thrown an anchor. I have never thrown, well, I may be thrown a toy anchor, but never a real anchor. What's an anchor? When a ship is on the water... An anchor is a heavy object that attaches to the ground, offshore or under the water, so that the waves or wind don't move the ship. Right? Simple. That's an anchor. If you don't know what an anchor is, that's an anchor. An anchor keeps you safe and secure no matter what happens in your world. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. What's a soul? A soul is you, it's your life. It's not your breathing, which keeps you alive. It's you, your heart, your mind, your desires. It's what makes you, you. There's an anchor for your soul. There's an anchor for you. And every human being was created in the image of God. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you have a soul. And every soul has an anchor. But not all anchors are created equal, right? In fact, we're born, as Scripture tells us, with broken anchors. Anchors that can't hold us sure and steadfast when even the smallest storm comes. And our anchors are broken from birth because of sin. We have all sin. Our anchors are broken. But Jesus offers us an anchor for our souls. And it's better than all the other anchors. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So for four weeks, that's our task. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, and we're going to study this anchor. And the anchor is going to have four points. Those are our four messages. You don't have to write all four down this week. But today, we're anchored by a promise, anchored by a promise. By a promise. That's verses 13 through 15. This anchor we're studying has four points today, anchored by a promise. Next week, if you're keeping notes, verses 16 through 18, anchored by the unchangeable. We're anchored by the unchangeable. Third will be verse 19, anchored by a hope. Anchored by a hope. And fourth, anchored by a high priest. That will be verse 20. 13 through 15, anchored by a promise. 16 through 18, anchored by the unchangeable. Verse 19, anchored by a hope. And verse 20, anchored by a high priest. It's a good anchor, friends. It's the best anchor. It is the anchor that every soul needs to be able to thrive and survive in a world like the one that we live in. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And let me make a bold statement here. More and more we live in a world with broken anchors. More and more people are saying, I'm hopeless. More and more people are saying, I don't know how to go on. More and more people are saying, I'm confused. More and more people around us are saying, this is chaos. And teenagers, I have a challenge for you. If you want to stand out in your school, in your neighborhood, in your co-op, whatever it is, in your, with your friends. If you want to stand out, if you have your anchor in Jesus Christ and you're not getting rocked, all over the place you're going to stand out and your friends are going to ask where'd you get that hope from so teenagers you're really going to have a chance to stand out now because more and more teenagers are saying i don't know there's no meaning i'm confused but in christ there's an anchor and so pay attention teenagers for the next four weeks about this beautiful anchor of the soul that jesus christ offers today point number one anchored by a promise Now, look again at verse 13 through 15, our text for this morning. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Pretty simple here. In verses 13 through 14, God makes a promise. The author of Hebrews is reminding the reader of the big, famous promise that God made to Abraham and the series of events that happened in Abraham's life about the promise God made. So God makes a promise. And what does Abraham have to do? Look at verse 15. What does Abraham have to do? He doesn't have to keep the promise. He doesn't have to make the promise happen. Abraham waits and receives the promise by faith. God promises and keeps his promise. We, like Abraham, just wait on the Lord. And he keeps his promises. And then Abraham, having waited, obtains the promise. God makes a promise and Abraham waits and receives. Look at verse 13 again. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Uh, That line, he swore by himself, we're going to look at that more and this oath God made next week. That's our next message. Uh, But if you want to know what he means, well, he swore by himself, what does that mean? It's similar to when someone says, you know, I swear by whatever. I've heard this phrase before. I don't recommend using it, but I've heard people say, I swear on my mother's grave. Sarah and I used to watch uh, Survivor a lot, and there's a show where these people are stuck on an island, and they have to vote people off until there's one person left, and that person wins a bunch of money. And all throughout the show, the people are making alliances with other people. I promise that I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to write your name down. I'm not going to vote you off. We're in an alliance here. The one guy on the one season we watched, every single time he took someone aside and said, I swear on my mother's grave that I will not vote for you to get kicked off. He won because everyone believed him, and he lied to every single one of them. (laughs) But why would someone say, I swear on my mother's grave? You're trying to swear on something bigger than you, more important than you. Well, when God made the promise to Abraham, there's no one above God for God to say, I swear on the God of God, right? He had to swear by himself. He's saying, trust me. This is my character. Watch if I keep this promise. I'm tying the keeping of my promise to my character. Look at who I am and how I've been and watch whether or not I keep my promise. God is saying, when he swears by himself in verse 13, he's saying, trust me and watch and wait, I've got this. That's what God is saying using that language. God makes a promise and he stakes his reputation on it. Back in verse 13, when God made a promise to Abraham. All right, stop there. If we're going to understand our passage, the, the background be- before Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, is a story that happens in Genesis 22. You don't need to turn there, but we have to understand what happened in Genesis 22 to understand the author of Hebrews in verse in chapter 6. So briefly, what's going on in Genesis in Abraham's life? Briefly. God makes a covenant with Abraham. God says, "Abraham, I'm choosing you out of all the people and I'm going to Bless the world through you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a people. This is in Genesis 12, the original forming of the covenant between God and Abraham. God ratifies that covenant later in Genesis. And then God says to Abraham, You know, you're going to have a whole bunch of descendants. So the main promise to Abraham is that from one man, your descendants are going to spread out into the promised land, and they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. So God makes that promise with abraham and abraham and his wife are getting old and they're starting to think well how are we going to have a kid they were like too old to have kids and so abraham and sarah try to have kids another way not god's way not by waiting on the lord they don't trust god's promise they try and make god's promise happen themselves and it doesn't go well it fails but then god does come through and gives abraham and sarah a child and maybe you remember how old they were Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, which means it was a miracle. Okay? They knew back then that 90-year-old women did not get pregnant. Okay? It was a miracle. That child was Isaac. Okay? And that child was their proof from God that God was going to keep His promise. Now we know how I am going to have descendants. Now I know how God is going to keep the promise. Isaac is the proof to me that God will keep his promise. Which brings us to Genesis 22, which is what the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 6 is reminding the readers of. Because in Hebrews, in Genesis 22, God makes sure Abraham trusts God and not his circumstances. Okay, so Abraham is put in a position and God says to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac And i want you to give him up i want you to sacrifice him this is in genesis 22. god says essentially give up your son your only son and i will keep my promise i will bless you i will multiply you but abraham is put in this position if isaac dies how will god keep his promise i thought i knew how god was going to keep the promise in my life am i going to trust the circumstances Or am I going to trust God who made the promise? So Abraham is put in a position to trust what he thought was God's promise or to trust God who made the promise. And that happens to us a lot. We see blessings in our lives and we think that's God's promise for us. But if something happens to one of our blessings, we're tempted so quickly to doubt God. We can't forget that God is the one who makes and keeps promises. And we can't trust in our circumstances to know for sure whether he's been faithful. We have to trust in him. He is the promise maker and the promise keeper. So God says to Abraham, and Hebrews 6 is trying to say, remember what happened. Abraham, are you going to trust me or are you going to trust your eyes? Are you going to trust me or are you going to trust your circumstances? And so Abraham responds in faith. And he takes Isaac and he goes with some people, and they get the fire, and they get the wood, and he's on his way to offer up Isaac to trust God instead of his circumstances. Abraham responds with faith. And we learn in Hebrews 11 what Abraham was thinking. Because what would you be thinking? I'd be thinking, "This is I don't know what to do. What's going on? In Hebrews eleven seventeen, 17, we learn this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, here's what Abraham was thinking, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So what was Abraham thinking? Abraham was thinking, if Isaac dies, maybe God will bring him back from the dead. Abraham shows incredible faith. I know God will keep the promise. I have no clue how he's going to do it. I'm just going to trust God because I don't know how else he's going to do this. That's faith. That's faith. Isaac also is incredible. In Genesis 22, it says this. Isaac asks his father a question. Behold, the fire and the wood, but uh, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So Isaac went, not knowing what the sacrifice would be. He even carried his own wood to be laid on, to be prepared for sacrifice. The author of Hebrews 6, who wants us to know how to have an anchor for our souls, reminds us of the story where Abraham, the father of our faith, is put to a test. Will you trust God or will you trust your circumstances? And if you want to have an anchor for your soul, you have to know what faith is. That's faith. I will trust God and his word. And I won't look at my circumstances and determine whether or not he's been faithful. I will trust God and his word. That is the backbone of Hebrews 6, 6, 13 through 20 and the anchor for our souls. Well, Abraham takes Isaac up. And puts him on the altar and gets ready to perform that offering. And then God stops Abraham. Some of you knew the story. God stops Abraham. It was never God's intention to let Isaac be harmed. And a ram was provided from a bush. And he takes Isaac's place. By the way, if you're new to Christianity uh, and you're like, wow, uh, God asked Abraham to do that. Is that like something he asks a lot of parents? No. This is the only time. And it was to test Abraham's faith and to show the whole world the promise God was going to make and what God was going to do to keep his promises. The promise is the big promise in scripture. If you've read through the Bible, you see it ebb and flow. Adam and Eve are the first people. They're in a beautiful garden and then they sin. And God says, even though they're going to have to die one day, God is going to do something. The offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. God promises right from the start, when we break this place, that he is going to send someone to fix it. Abraham is promised a land and a people. And God does eventually get millions of his offspring into the promised land. But then as we're reading along, and if you were here for our Hosea series, you realize the people eventually disobeyed. And the land became full of sinfulness, and they get sent into exile. Did God break his promise? No. God would be faithful. There would be one Israelite who was perfect, who lived a sinful life, and that was Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is how God kept the promise to Abraham, and he is how God keeps all his promises because Jesus is really the true and better Isaac Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah and God sends Jesus to Golgotha Isaac carries his own wood to the altar Jesus carries his own cross to Calvary God made a promise to Abraham and he watched and saw That Abraham trusted God more than his circumstances. He trusted his anchor more than the wind and the waves and the storm. And so he goes in faith to give Isaac up. God saw Abraham, placed his faith in the promise. And his faith is a model for us. Our faith is anchored by a promise. And the reason why the author of Hebrews wants everyone to think of this Abraham and Isaac story is because the author of Hebrews knows and wants you to know what it cost God to keep that promise to Abraham. To keep that promise to Abraham. That Abraham would one day have many descendants. Abraham said God will provide for himself the lamb. Well, in order to keep that promise, in order to give Abraham many descendants, not just physical descendants, but spiritual descendants in the faith, Galatians 3 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So how is Abraham going to have all of these descendants all over the world? Well, God was going to have to do something about the problem of sin. Abraham now has billions of spiritual descendants across the world. When God made the promise to Abraham uh, that he was going to give him a land and a people and his descendants would be more than the sand on the seashores and the stars in the sky, the world population in 2100 B.C. was about 70 million people. Can you believe it? 70 million people. That's the combined current population of Texas and California. This is the promise. God says to Abraham, I have a plan to give you descendants Un countable. So in Abraham's day, that's 70 million people. Now at least one or two billion people on the planet call themselves Christians. This is the promise. Abraham now has 25 times more spiritual descendants than the entire population of the world was when Abraham heard that promise. If Abraham would have said, everybody on the planet now, God could have said, Oh, that's that's a fraction of what I'm going to do for you through faith. God keeps his promises, but there's still that problem. How do people become children of Abraham? How do sinners become spiritual children of Abraham? What was God going to have to do to keep his promise, to give us an anchor for our souls? We're going to need a savior. God said to Abraham, you didn't withhold your own son. I see how much you love me. I see your faith. You didn't withhold your own son. Well, God knew that to keep that promise, one day God was going to have to give up his own son. For Abraham's sins to be forgiven, for Isaac's sins to be forgiven, and for your sins to be forgiven. Abraham was tested in his faith. Would you give up Isaac? He would, but God spared Isaac. But one day, in order for Abraham and Isaac and your sins to be forgiven, God was going to have to give up his own Son. And so Jesus takes the cross and goes up to Calvary and he's nailed to the cross. Had Jesus looked around at the bushes in the distance and thought, I wonder if there will be a ram who will take my place. He would not have found a replacement. Jesus would not have found a replacement. On the night he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And this prayer of Jesus to the Father, if there's any other way to save people, if there's any other way to save sinners, if there's any other way to fill the world with descendants of Abraham, if there's any other way, make it happen. And the answer from the Father was, there is no other way. There needs to be someone to take the place of sinners. And son, it's going to be you tomorrow. And Jesus does. He goes to the cross so that God could keep the promise. So that our lives could have an anchor for our soul based on a promise-making, promise-keeping God. God kept that promise. It cost him his own son. Jesus did die. He did it to make sinners, children of Abraham, God's family. God keeps his promises. And so when you and I wake up tomorrow... The promises of God will all still be true. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Tomorrow, when you wake up, if you sleep at all, some of you won't get any rest tonight, but I hope you all do. When you wake up tomorrow, God's mercies will be new because God made a promise and he kept it. Tomorrow... God will go before you and guard you from behind. He promises to do that, and He keeps His promises. The cross is the proof. God says, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. You will never, ever, ever be alone tomorrow. That will be true for you because God keeps His promises. If you need wisdom, God says, ask, and I'll give you wisdom. He promised, and we know He keeps His promises. God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He promises to guard your heart and your mind. No matter what it costs, he keeps his promises. That will be true for you this week. We have an anchor for our soul. God will keep every promise. And all God's people said, Amen. He's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. The promise has been Kept So how do we, in light of Hebrews 6, 13 through 15, looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac, remembering that, how do we respond to this? How do we live this out this week? Well, Abraham did two things. God did all the hard work. Abraham waited, which means he trusted, and then he received the promise. Look again at verse 15, thinking of what happened with Abraham and Isaac. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. What does Abraham do? What do people of faith do? We trust the promise maker. He waits by faith and he obtains by faith. What does Abraham do? He waits for the promise. His soul was anchored in the promise of God. He said to his son, God will provide the lamb and right there at the last moment possible, God steps in and says, I had a replacement for Isaac. And so he received the promise. But his faith was tested. And that's interesting, isn't it? Our job is to wait and receive. That means God, this week, for some of you, might get to the 11th hour in a situation. And you'll have no idea how God is going to come through for you. And then he will. Because he keeps his promises. God says, I will provide all your needs. Everything you need spiritually to get through this week. The fruit of the Spirit. Hope. Hope. And peace, He will provide it. And He will give it just when you need it. Stories like this happen all the time. I hear from many of you, God showed up. I didn't know how He was going to do it. God showed up. Let me give you a quick story. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but here you go. I have uh, someone who I hold accountable for fighting a particular sin. And I keep them accountable from a long distance. They don't live anywhere near me. I, I, I can't just go visit this person, right, on a weekly basis. But I keep them accountable. And this person was looking for a good church in their city, and he couldn't find one. He couldn't find one. Okay, so the week after Easter, Pastor Ari and I, along with Matt Hayden, went out to that pastor's conference in Louisville, Kentucky. 11,500 people struck up a conversation with a guy sitting next to me who I didn't know from Adam. We're talking. I'm like, where are you from? Where are you from? And I said, he said, well, he's a traveling counselor. I was like, oh, okay, well, do you have a home church? And he said, yeah. I said, where? (laughs) In the city where my long distance friend, who I'm holding accountable, needed to find a good church. God keeps his promises. Every week, one of those stories flows around these hallways. God keeps his promise. What do we do? We wait for the promises. What does God do? Whatever it takes to keep his promises. When you make a promise, God stakes his character on this. You know this. If you break a promise, people won't soon forget that. It takes a long time to build up trust, but it only takes a few seconds to break trust, right? And we know this. This is why most people don't trust politicians anymore. There's a story of the uh, politician who went to a remote village, and he said, I want your support in this upcoming election, and I just, please, please, give me your support. I will take care of all of your needs. And the village leader came out and said, well, we have two big needs in our village. And the politician said, okay, what are they? And the village leader said, well, the first need is we have a hospital, but we don't have a doctor. So the politician says, hold on a second, gets out his cell phone, he's talking, he's talking, he's yelling, he's all animated off the side, puts his cell phone away, comes back, and he says, I have represented you well. Tomorrow, you're going to have a doctor for your hospital. Now, what was the second need that you had? And the village leader said, well, because of where we are in this remote region, there's absolutely no cell service here. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. You're never going to trust that guy again. God makes big promises. And keeps, keeps them. And we've been jaded by friends who break promises. We've been jaded by teachers who break promises. Coaches who break promises. We've been jaded by relatives who break promises. We've been jaded by that. But we have an anchor for our soul. God made and kept the hardest promise. He's a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. And our souls can be anchored by that promise. So. what? difference is this going to make for us? Four really brief things, and we're going to do the fourth one, which is going to be the Lord's Supper. Number one, since our souls are anchored by a promise, a promise-making, promise-keeping God, this changes the life of the Christian. Number one, we make promises. Number one, we make promises. We're made in God's image. He makes big promises, and because our anchor is not in what happens to us in this life, we can make big risky promises to people we can promise sacrificial things God is a God who makes huge promises which change the lives of other people and require incredible sacrifices on his part so we can be people who make promises Our anchors in the Lord and his promises so we can faithfully raise children that's keeping a really hard promise We can adopt children. That's making a really big promise and keeping it. We can commit to a small group for a Bible study or a prayer session or a worship time. We can commit and regularly check in on our friends and keep things in prayer. We can commit to pray for a person or a cause. Let me ask you this. You know how you can be a promise keeper like the Lord has been for you? Promise to pray for one person every day for the month of May, which started today and keep that promise, and your prayers will be heard, and they will be effective. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We make hard promises because God's the promise maker, promise keeper. That's number one. Number two, we keep our promises. We keep our promises. We're made in God's image, and He keeps hard promises. But because our anchor is in His promise, we can keep big, risky promises. You know what's a really hard promise to keep? We say in the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. You know how hard it is to forgive a difficult sin against you? Well, that is keeping your promise to the Lord. Forgiving the sins of others. How many of you have not been sinned against this year? That means you have opportunity to forgive. Forgiving others because you've been forgiven is a way we keep promises. Keeping promises to family and friends is another way. If you've got friends and and you're committed to being a good friend, that's keeping a big promise. You have family members. You're keeping your promises uh, by loving them and giving them what they need and being there for them. And it means cleaning up after messy friends. And I don't mean physically messy. I mean relationally messy friends who've made messes, but you're going to be there for them even if your hands get a little dirty in the process. Keeping keeping promises means we're going to be really good friends, not fair-weather friends. When we know a friend is struggling or wrestling with something or in mourning, we're going to check in on them. Even if we go, I don't know if they want to check in. Yes, they do. Call, text, send a letter, send flowers, bring cookies. Keeping promises means loving our spouses even when you don't think they deserve it. There's a great quote from a book called The Meaning of Marriage. The author says this, when we think a spouse doesn't really deserve our love. He says, we must say to ourselves something like this. Well, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think, I'm giving myself to you because you are so attractive to me. No, he was in agony on the cross and he looked down at us denying him, abandoning him and betraying him with our sins having put him on the cross. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed on the cross for you. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loved us, not because we were lovely, but to make us lovely. And that is why I'm going to love my spouse. So we keep our promises. Number one, we make promises number two we keep promises number three and this is really the life of the church we help each other keep promises we help each other keep promises Uh, raise your hand if you've been to a wedding ever all right almost every hand all right weddings have two witnesses god and then the congregation who gathers for the wedding right before god and these witnesses you will now give your sacred words to one another right do you know marriages that are struggling right now I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. I bet you do. Maybe it's in your own home. Maybe you're a teenager and you know your parents' marriage is struggling. Maybe you're a friend and you know your friend is in a really struggling marriage. Are you coming alongside one of those two partners in the marriage and just letting them unload on their spouse and that's all you're doing? Or are you gently, after offering care and comfort, reminding them, of the promises they made. It's going to cost you, but you promised to do that. If you've attended a wedding, you've promised to help that couple keep their promise till death do us part. And Jesus promised to be there for us, promised to give us the strength to do that. And so we want to hold people accountable for their promises and help them keep them. If you're in accountability partnership, you promise to not to let them off easy. If you're trying to help someone fight pornography or if you're trying to help someone fight social media addiction, and if your accountability sessions go like this, how'd you do this week? Oh, I epically failed. Me too. See you next week. You're not keeping your promise. You're not keeping your promise. That's not helping them keep their promise to the Lord. Helping others is going to cost us because it cost Jesus his life to give us victory over sin. So number three, because God's a promise maker, promise keeper, we help others keep promises. Our soul has an anchor, and number one, message one, we're anchored by a promise. The fourth thing we do is, like Abraham, we wait patiently until the final promise is kept. Abraham waited and then received by faith. We place our faith in the God who promises, and here's the final promise, John 14, From Jesus to everyone who calls on his name. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's the promise. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He promised it. He went ahead of us. And he's coming back for us. And while we wait for that final promise, we celebrate the Lord's Supper until he returns. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a glorious anchor for our souls. We're anchored by a promise. And God kept that promise through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he is coming. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. Jesus has gone ahead. He will return for us. We will obtain his promise because he bought it with his blood and he is risen from the tomb and he reigns on his throne. King Jesus has already assured us that our anchor, which is anchored by our promise, is worth trusting. Let me pray. Lord, you promised And there was a substitute for Isaac. And Abraham's faith was commendable. But Abraham was a sinner who needed a savior. So was Isaac. And so were all the physical descendants of Abraham. And so into a world that needed a savior from sin, you sent your son Jesus to show us what you would do to keep your promises. So, Lord, you know every soul in this room needs an anchor for everything we're going to face this week. We don't know, but you know what we're going to face. So help us put our faith in you. Thank you that our souls are anchored by a promise. And you are the promise maker and promise keeper. You proved it on the cross with your son, Jesus Christ. May our lives be anchored by that promise this week. For our good and your glory in christ's name amen as dave pointed out
1: we now get a chance to take communion together and you heard the word preached that even as we take communion we look forward to the future promise when jesus returns so maybe this is a chance for you to meditate on that that yes we look backwards to the cross and the resurrection of jesus but we also look forward to when christ comes again let us pray and then we who are the family of god will take together lord we have heard your promise in your word we have heard of your many promises we know that you are a promise keeper in fact you are incapable of failing to keep your promise because your word is always true and always trustworthy So, Lord, now, as we turn to take communion, I ask that you would fix our eyes upon your Son, Jesus. In Him, all the promises find their yes and their amen. In Him, all of them are fulfilled. And so, Father, as we even take the bread and the cup today, point us back and point us forward, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Looking back and looking forward to when God fulfilled his promise and when he will fully fulfill all the promises in Christ. This bread is the body of our Savior. He gave it to us when he died on the cross. Let us take it together. Without the shedding of blood, There is no forgiveness of sin, and it was not bulls and goats and lambs and pigeons' blood which forgives sins, but only the blood of the perfect, sinless Son of God which can take away the sins of the world. For this is the new covenant in his blood, the new covenant which is the fulfillment of the promises of the old. Let us take it together. Will you please read with me? this is a verse from Ephesians 2. Let's read it together. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Please stand and join us as we sing together. One love.
0: Lots of sins, but his mercy is more. He's the promise-making God, and he's the promise-keeping God. And he gives everyone in Christ for free, by grace, an anchor for their souls, no matter what comes this week. If you are facing a week and you don't know how you're going to get through it, stay. I'll be up here, we can pray, we can talk, reach out to another brother or sister in Christ and tell them so they can be praying for you and commit to pray for you this week. We want to remind you of the great, great anchor that isn't in your effort, it isn't in your goodness, it isn't in my effort or goodness, it's in the goodness of Jesus Christ who kept the promise and gave his life so that you could have an anchor for your soul. It's for everyone in Christ. I want to end with a benediction, brothers and sisters, from the end of this book of Hebrews as we're studying chapter six. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And we all said, Amen. God bless you.